1: Pastor Dominic Romaldi here with Street Talk Theology, where we take our theology and bring it to the streets. We are so thankful again to have uh, my two guests here. Obviously, um, so excited to have again uh, Pastor Michael Teddy Ashuk Mohan from Redemption Redemption Hill Church in Southern India, and we are just about finishing up our uh, post. Millennium argument that Ashuk is bringing to the table, so he's going to he's going to finish that uh, up, and then we are going to get into um, which I believe is a huge topic that's never discussed, and that obviously is church membership. But with no further ado, Ashok wants you. Ashuk wants to close his. Convincing argument on 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 post millennium, so we so we all can leave here as post millennials So um, yeah. it's <laughs> so you got the mic, ashok Thank you, Pastor. Uh, so yeah,
2: so the so I would say when we look at a book like Revelation, uh, we have to understand what is the genre of book. Right? Every time we look at any book in the Bible, uh, say it be a poetry or epistles, there's a certain genre to the book. What we have in Revelation is it's a special kind of a genre called um, apocalyptic book. And these kinds of books were common in the time of John. So it uh, it is not necessarily a prophetic book of the kind that you see in the Old Testament, but a different genre of book. And this kind of book is full of symbolism. And you have a book in the scripture full of symbolism. And the most natural thing to do is to look for similar symbolism throughout the scripture. When you see symbols and types, look at how the scripture uses such symbols and types. And also, uh, we might not have most clear texts in such a book in order to reach our conclusive theology about millennium or second coming and all those things. So, for me, one uh, one of the things that I do when it comes to understanding the whole redemptive picture is to look at clear passages. And one such clear passage would be 1 Corinthians 15. What does Paul say? Uh, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15 concerning the resurrection that then comes the end when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father when he abolishes all rule and all authority and power, right? For he must reign until he puts all enemies under his feet. That's a pretty good text. Yeah. The last enemy to be abolished is death. So here's the thing. So Jesus isn't coming after resurrection because the last enemy to be defeated is death, not the first enemy. Right? so the last enemy before christ hands over the kingdom to the father to be defeated is death god has put everything under his feet not god will put everything under his feet god has put everything under his feet now what does it mean it is a reference to someone 10 1, the lord said to my lord sit at my right hand until i make your enemies a footstool at your feet and um, we have multiple places in the scripture matthew 26 64 You have said it uh, yourself jesus says but i say to you all of you from now on you will see the son of man sitting at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven and uh, uh, we have hebrews the author of hebrews saying that jesus christ um is right now sitting at the right hand of god post resurrection in ascension when he has reached the glory so we know jesus christ is actively ruling this earth and uh, he says that uh, jesus says that he saw satan come down on the earth fall down and um, Uh, which is a reference to the defeat of Satan. And we we look at the clear text. uh, We see that Jesus Christ is ruling and he will bring every enemy under his feet till the last enemy death is defeated. So that is one of the reasons why we believe in optimism and also another reason why we believe that um, the also we believe that the prophecies of the old Uh, which is one of the key motifs of the gospel, is the promise that is given to uh, Abraham, uh, while the Abrahamic covenant is established, that uh, the sons of Abraham will be like the stars of the sky or like the sand on the seashore. So they're going to be that many, right? It's going to be huge. And what do we have John seeing in Revelation? He hears that there is 144,000 people from 12 tribes of Israel, but he turns and he sees men and women from every tribe, every town, Right? and also it in a gray i think it is it also explains the kind of language that paul uses when he says jesus christ is the savior of the world when such a language is being used uh, about god saving the uh, world and all we have is a very small fringe of people uh, being saved with majority of the world going into hell um, Uh, I'm not saying it's an impossible uh, interpretation but I'm saying I think the other side might be a much healthier interpretation also throughout the parables we see how the kingdom of God is it is like the uh, uh, we see that the kingdom of uh, God is uh, like the leaven that a woman took and hid uh, three measures of flour uh, flour, uh, till it was all leaven. it's a slow process it's a thorough process Um, similarly we have the parable Uh, The kingdom of God is like a grain of mustard that a man took and sowed in the field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and make nests in in its branches. So, we see that the kingdom of God is a thorough expansive um, uh, process, the building of the kingdom. And what do we pray in the Lord's Prayer? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done upon this earth just as in heaven. So, you look at the redemptive story for a and even for the Great Commission to be fulfilled and all those things to come together through Scripture, I believe post-millennialism makes the <laughs> most sense. <laughs>
1: he almost convinced us to be postmillennialists, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I and I, you know, it'll be good. We see if we get some some listeners, um, you know, that that agree or, or disagree, and then we'll we'll let Ashok know. But you know, it's good to get other views up there. Um, Praise the Lord. I mean, again, what, what what Pastor Michael says, whatever your view is, make sure that's being lived out in your life today, um, and not just waiting. Or you know, even in in the, in the post uh, millennium view, well, the world's going to get better. I'll just wait till that happens, or it's not going to get better in my time. So so we still have a we still have to be good stewards. Then right, uh, Pastor Michael. Yes, absolutely. We're gonna switch gears. Thank you, Ashuk. Um, I'll see if I get any uh, any uh, threatening email. Nobody. Can. I'll, <laughs> I'll just send them to you. But I, I think that was a, a good argument. And yes, I am gonna read "Politics, Guilt, and Pity" by uh, Russ Dooney. So I will. Uh, I'll be interacting now. Would you have you read that book, Ashuk?
2: Uh, I haven't. I haven't actually. No.
1: No. Okay. Well, uh, that means I'll be ahead of. I'll be ahead of you then. <laughs> Okay, so our yeah. next topic <laughs> will be uh, Pastor Michael's uh, main play here, um, and I want to I want to I want to read two verses from Colossians, from the Epistle to the Colossians. We know, I think, if I'm reading Colossians right, the 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 teaching elder of that church was a guy named Epaphras, if I'm reading Colossians right. I don't know if uh, Paul ever visited that church. Again, he might have. But there is something interesting in 4 and 12, Paul writing to the church in Colossae. He says, Epaphras, who was one of your number, a bond slave of Jesus Christ, sends his greetings, right? And then it also says, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of your number. So Pastor Michael, if I'm reading this text right, early on, it looks like Onesimus and Epaphras are basically church members in Colossae. Is that fair to make that assumption? I think so, yes. So um, that means if that's the case, and this is Pastor Michael, I'm, I'm just reiterating the way he preaches to us, if that's biblical and that's the case— then we need to adhere to that. Then, and you're gonna you're gonna preach to us and tell us why that's important.
3: Yeah, um, absolutely. I think one of the most overlooked um, uh, important healthy sign of a church is church membership, and it's overlooked in so many churches. Um, so I think I'll come at it from this angle. Anyone who studies the word of god Uh, anyone who is genuinely studying the word of god will never come to the conclusion that membership is less important but they will naturally come to the conclusion that membership is important it's the posture of the text that's important the bible leans in on that kind of a community where there are people locally gathering are covenanted together there are people like this who are counted in that number in a particular church there are people that are spoken about as having to be removed from that number there are you know and there are times the text speaks about people being added to that number and so the the posture of the new testament text when it talks about the church leans in on members there is a there is an understood covenanted community of individuals that are known. Uh, and that's very important. And you, you see it, it's, it's implicit in so much of the text, some of which I'm sure we'll talk about. But I think the problem with uh, the, the people today is that we live in a culture or, a, or, or an age where people have this thing called commitment phobia people just don't want to take a commitment. They are afraid about the consequences of a commitment. At least from our context, culturally, I can tell you that's there everywhere. You know, earlier, you know, you used to have people who, when they apply for a job, when they, you know, get out of their uh, degree, they get their um, uh, degree certificates, and they're looking for a job. People would go in with the mentality that if they get a job, they might be in that company for 20 years. Nowadays, People have, you know, a fear of, of joining into an institution, whether it's it's a job or even if it's getting married, right? People hey. have a fear as though they're going to be tied down and com- and that commitment is going to cost them their freedom.
1: Hey, Pastor right? Michael, just for a second, ashok this... And I'm just I want you to continue because you just hit on something. So now this is what I'm seeing. And, man, I've never seen this before. Church membership today is actually taking a cultural um, aspect negatively. Right. Because nobody wants to be, like you said, work for 20 years. Marriage. I mean, that's a great point today. You know, let's live together for five years. So commitment. So you're saying church membership is taking on a cultural, um, a negative cultural aspect of the way the world today does not want to be committed to anything. Am I, am I right in hearing that? That's that really hit me. I, I think that's that's well said. And, 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 but I want to make sure that I'm, I'm reading that right.
3: Right, right. Absolutely. So, so what begins to happen is that kind of bleeds into the church. So when people think about the church, especially in a church where membership is very loose, um, that becomes a big problem. Um, so, for example, a lot of churches, you know, I, I was, uh, you know, once during, during a Christmas celebration, I was in this one particular church at the end of the service. Uh, the elder of the church basically told the people, On your way out, there are envelopes sitting outside. Just pick that up, put in your uh, monthly membership, I mean, yearly membership renewal fee, and your membership will be renewed for the next year.
1: Oh, wow, you're
3: kidding. (laughs) So so I, I was taken aback. I mean, out of all the things that you know that was what offended me but i was just thinking i'm not part of a library this is this is uh, this is the community of saints this this has got to be more than that and that's what membership is uh, you know culturally here being part of a church that has a burial ground so you know you have a place for funeral because otherwise, if you're going to die, where are you going to be buried? Uh, being part of a church has to do with, um, you know, the, the social dignity of things. Being part of a church has to do with money. Uh, so there's a lot of stuff happening, you know, and caste is involved in this. So that If you're if you're on a, in a church that's a higher caste church, you want to be part of that church, uh, you know, and it gives you a social status. Membership has turned into things like that. And that's not what you see in the Bible. What you see in the Bible is that the local church in Hebrews, when we read that, do not we, have, we must not forsake the gathering together of one another. The very word, right, ecclesia, which is the church, is the called out ones. So we are all called out by the Lord to gather, and these local congregations are visible, right? Are the is the visible representation of what we will call the universal church. And every local congregation, every 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 part of the New Testament, every letter of the New Testament, you find that it's all pointed to local congregations, right? It is pointed to the local church. And in every one of those, you begin to see that there is a structure, there is an order. For example, Paul... Uh, talks about it. Peter talks about it. Peter talks about elders. Paul talks about the qualifications of elders. Peter asks the people to submit to the elders because they are shepherds who have to give an account for the souls of the sheep. So that in itself gives us a clear indication that you, you just don't pick up somebody and just call him an elder, right? You're putting him in a place of authority over a specific group of people. This
1: is this is another great point. This is where you can't be responsible for somebody you don't know. Right? Yeah. You, you can't be responsible for somebody that you I mean if if some if, if people are just walking in and out of the church and you know um how are you going to be responsible for them? These are great points um uh Pastor Michael. So I don't know how to say this because I, I think I know the answer, but so church membership, obviously salvation is of the Lord. But you would think as people read the scriptures, they would want to be members of a church. Right. I mean, I think Ashuk, anything you you want to add to that or anything that you want to say concerning that? not
2: much more because i and mike are part of the same church and everything when it comes to church membership and these phobias everything that i i'm just saying amen to all of them right yeah, struggles. we are looking at the same culture and i, I think uh, though we might be coming from different cultures this kind of a uh, commitment phobia kind of a thing is just universal now uh, and it's uh, running everywhere not just in our culture or your culture but uh everywhere but yeah it's it there is a cost to our faith and people are not willing to bear that uh, cost with. It's a kind of a Matthew 10 situation perhaps.
1: And you don't see you don't see this issue, I mean, again, I want to be careful here, but you don't see this issue in the New Testament. Uh, it seems like everybody, you know, no matter what letter that Paul writes, um, whether it's Philemon, whether it's uh, Titus, it, it's always about, building the church, getting the church membership together, qualified elders, uh, qualified deacons. Getting So this has really definitely become, uh, Pastor Michael, and I'm going to turn it back to you, this has become a huge cultural issue because now the church is just becoming so much, and like the culture. What about one other thing, Pastor Michael? What about these TV things? People just, well, I'll, I'll listen to this dude on the TV or whatever.
3: Yeah. So we, we, whenever we put out a sermon online, we have a disclaimer before the sermon and we kind of uh, followed people like Matt Chandler and uh, Jeff Durbin in putting that out where we put a disclaimer and say, look, we're, we're thankful that you're listening to these resources and we hope that they will bless you. But, we want to encourage you, don't use our resources as a means of a replacement to your commitment to a local church or your submission to local elders that, uh, that you have to submit to. Um, just, a, just a way of warning them, look, you, you, these, this is not a replacement to the church. You begin to see every blessing in the New Testament that caters to the growth of an individual, the spiritual growth of an individual, the setting of that growth is always the local church. It is always the apostles went out and they planted churches. They did not plant parachurch organizations. They did not start apologetic organizations. You know, those, all of those kind of uh, ministries functioned under the church. The church was that centerpiece. That's what they went out to plant. And um, so if we just stick with the posture of the New Testament, there's no escaping The seriousness and the reality and the call uh, that we must be committed to healthy local churches and uh, building God's kingdom is part of being a church. And it's through the church that the gospel goes through the ends of the earth to connect it to just what Ashok was talking about eschatology as well. That's the setting where we study eschatology, and that's the setting where we implement our eschatology, where we live out our lives based on what we believe.
1: Yeah, that's it. These so with church membership, with church membership, which we know is biblical, obviously, um, and if elders are overseers, ashuk, right. And we only got about, I don't know, can you guys come back? for? Because I want to get into another topic. You guys can do one more or because I, I'm, I'm so we started off with post-millennialism, right? We got that all straightened out, right, Ashuk? Now we move to, in his mind, we did, he's, he, right? And now we move to church membership. And then we're talking about elders who are overseers of the church, so inside family or membership, um, sometimes that would get messy. Um, so inside the membership, if somebody kind of gets off the beaten path, um, so to speak, because we're all sinners. Right. And, and you know, um, so if if church membership is not really being practiced, how much more is church discipline? not be in practice. So that's my next topic. But I know um, in four minutes, four minutes, we're not going to be able to do that. But how about Pastor Michael, if you just for three minutes, just start the conversation or let us know why you think church discipline is biblical and why it's not practiced today. And then we'll we'll come back and you and Ash will kind of overview that in the next segment, if you guys are willing to come back for one more segment. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Um, Yeah.
3: It is, it is, it is something of, uh, again, I think it is something of culture. It is something of, uh, uh, when it comes to religious belief, especially in the church today, you begin to see that people want to take a posture of uh, being less committed so that there's no cost involved, so that they can live the way they want to live. Now, but that's never the function of the church. The function of the church has always been to uh, to work for the spiritual up upbuilding of the saints. It's to equip the saints as iron sharpens iron, that we might spur one another towards good deeds, that we are conformed to the image of Christ. Now. That means that an individual who is a genuine Christian, part of a local church, God's molding him. And a lot of people come into that context. One of the means that God uses to direct God, safeguard, discipline, teach, train a Christian is church discipline. And church discipline is where you have brothers and sisters in Christ who love you You have elders who love you who look at your life and see that you're living in sin and see that you're living in disobedience to God who are able to come and say, this is not going to happen. We want to help you out of this. You need to repent of this. So church discipline, if anything, is a means by which God perseveres the saints. And it is a wonderful thing. It's a joyful delight. And I have always wanted to submit myself uh, knowing that if I'm going to falter, I got brothers who are going to pounce on me with love and uh, graciously come to me and say, no, that's not the way to do it. This is the way to think through the the scriptures. This this is what the scripture says.
1: So if anything, church discipline is an act of love. Ashuk, uh, we got to close this segment, but I like the metaphor, pounce on you with love. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> that, You talk about an oxymoron, right? But we know exactly what he means. Listen, we want to talk more about this because you don't hear this on, I don't think you hear this on many podcasts like this and radio shows like this. So this is important. So my brother's uh, promise to come back for one more segment. Church discipline is the topic coming up. This is Pastor Dominic Romaldi,
0: Street Talk Theology, where we take our theology and bring it to the streets. Thank you for joining us for Street Talk Theology with Pastor Dominic Grimaldi. You can visit Pastor Dom at Desert Sky Baptist Church at 891 West Corson Road, Casa Grande. And for more information, visit us online at www.desertskybaptist.org.